Hey Highland, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. My name is Matt Pinson. I'm here with David Sessions, and we are here with, uh, you have so many nicknames, the Monk in Black, his, uh, the great Randy Harris is who we're with today, and we're very excited to have him on. I just want you to know I'm wearing red today. That's yeah, right. Yeah. I have noticed in your wardrobe that yeah. black is not the constant right. shirt anymore. Right. I like it. Man's got to grow. That's right. Mm, yeah. Shedding, sometimes, shedding that identity. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Uh, at church you have African themes. Yeah. Yeah. Have some been to Africa and have some friends there, including a seamstress. So. Oh wow. She's a couple of. The man in black is just not accurate anymore. No, it's not. Okay. No. Okay. No. no. Well, let's get started for real. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, David, ask your first question. It's okay. a good question. Uh, Randy, you've um, been a part of spiritual uh, disciplines and spiritual mentoring, spiritual direction for a time now. Um, you have uh, hosted a, a group on campus, ACU's campus, of people who are practicing prayer disciplines. You've taught for many years on prayer. We're wanting to shift this podcast from speaking about um Deconstruction is a primary topic to sh- talking about prayer, and part of that's because, um, in our conversations with people about deconstruction, uh, prayer has come up so often, uh, and so we thought no one better to start this with than than you. And so thanks for being here, um, Randy. When when you kind of remember growing up and being taught prayer practices from the people that loved you and nurtured you, what are some of the earlier messages, uh, memories that you have of? of your prayer life. Yeah, I I think that like most people, I probably started out with rote prayers, although I don't have any clear memory of that. R O T E, not not W R O T E. Was praying way before I could write. Uh you know, I don't really remember us doing God is great, God is good. We kind of had our own vi- version of that. We we sat at the table. So I, I have those clear memories of praying at every meal from yeah. from from very earliest times. And we, we'd pray in Bible class. I, uh, I don't have any strong memories of my fam- of family sitting around the living room and praying together. We may have, but I just I, I don't have any memory mm-hmm. Um of it, I don't. I don't think we did that. And uh, my mother never prayed in front of me, which is uh, it, 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 I experience it now as a great loss. I never yeah. really got to hear my mother uh, uh, pray. Um, and 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 so you know, it's, uh, listening to little kids pray is great, right? Yeah. You know, at some point you quit praying your own, you, other people's prayers, and start and start praying your own, and. Um, I, I think it was just kind of, I you know, f- from the beginning though, prayer was a way of speaking, hmm. and primarily prayer was a way of asking, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of the the notion of prayer that I that I grew up with. Yeah, and we were we, you know. In a lot of ways, I grew up in kind of the very center of the heritage of Churches of Christ. So we were suspicious of of um, formal prayers as not sufficiently spiritual. Right. Uh, so the Lord's Prayer, 
other 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 forms formal prayers we 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 didn't really do it was it was all individuals sort of expressing their heart to god and, and primarily it was about asking where do you think that comes from because it, it now it almost looks like this kind of hyper evangelical if it's not authentic it doesn't it's not really spiritual but that's not really what you're saying right so where does this come from that if if it's not my words extemporaneously uh, where does that in our tradition, where does that come from, do you think? I, I, well, I do think a part of it was just suspicion of high church generally. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's not us. Yeah. Uh, but I do, th- I do think there was some of that. It, if, if it's not coming from your own heart, that that doesn't seem to be real, mm-hmm. real prayer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're the ones who are going to pray about Great Aunt Maud's cancer. That's mm-hmm. not going to be in the yeah. in the liturgy, and and so I think I think it it really, I mean, the best instincts about that was prayer. Prayer is something for us, uh, and um, God God wants to hear what's what's going on with you. That right. was the best things of it. Instincts of it. The worst instincts. Um, of it were just because you're using somebody else's words doesn't mean that it can't be heartfelt and yeah. and, and meaningful. So it's like everything. It's kind of a plus to minus. Right. Yeah. There's things I'm grateful for in this tradition. Like, you know, I, was, I think one thing I'm hearing from you say, I also felt was my words are sufficient for God. And that's a good thing. Right. Um, I, I get and, to, and anybody can pray. Anybody can pray. Yeah. Um, anybody, anybody who can form words can pray. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that goes to my second thing, which is some of its limitations. Is uh, prayer? I was taught, and it sounds like you were kind of experienced that same thing. Prayer is primarily an intellectual pursuit mm-hmm. with words, and and my words are someone else's words, but always words. And and again, there's a way that's really great. My words are are good enough for God, yeah. um, but words also have their own limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, where do you see, um, I don't know, I'm not transitioning very well. Well, uh, this part out. Mark, Mark, Mark Thibodeau does this better than I do. Where yeah. he, he says there's kind of four movements in prayer. There's, there's first of all, you learn to pray by listening to other people pray. You pray their words, uh-huh. wrote, wrote prayers. He calls that talking at God. That's what we start. Uh-huh. And at some point we decide, okay, I, I got some stuff I, I want to say. Yeah. And so that's that's more the kind of free prayer that yeah. you you and I grew up with, and that's talking to God. So yeah. we're talking at God, talking to God. The third movement that it's harder for us to make is okay. At some point, you get tired of the one sidedness yeah. of that conversation, yep. and so there's this listening to God, and prayer as a way of listening never really got communicated to me to much later yeah. uh, in my life. In fact, I'm not sure it ever got communicated to me until I kind of went out on my own voyage of discovery. Yeah. And he says the fourth way of praying is where uh, talking and listening fall away. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. And what you're left with is just being with God. Yeah. And, um, you know, you guys 
who are married or people who have extremely close relationships with somebody will know there are times that some of the best times you spend with a person yeah. is when you're not talking, you're not trying to do anything, you're just being there yeah. together, you're hanging out. Uh, Klaus Isler describes this with the wonderful phrase, wasting time with God. Yeah. So now... It's, it's not really talking or listening. It's just kind of being with God. He, he says those are kind of the four movements of, of prayer. And I think you don't ever quite move out of one to move to the next one. They're more sure. you, you add this one to what you're, what you're already doing. Um, but uh, surely there is a form of prayer that's not just, not just words. Yeah. What prompted, what prompted you when you say like a, I'm not sure I ever was taught that until I went on my own voyage of discovery there. What prompted that voyage for you? Uh, part part of what prompted it was Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. And it's very hard to explain to people now, uh, or even of your age, that when when that book came out, I should have looked up the year before I came. I didn't know I was going to do this. Late 70s. Yeah, late 70s. When that book came out, there was nothing else like it. Oh. And there there were no books on spiritual disciplines. Mm. And uh, I was just taken by that that book. Where's this been all my my life? And so that that created the the curiosity. Mm. And uh, that's when I started really sort of uh, poking around, and then I went through a bit of a uh, personal slash ministry crisis, and the sort of stuff that I'd learned from Foster sort of saved my saved my sanity. Mm. Had the good fortune to be able to share that story with him later um, mm. uh, in my life, and he put his hand on my forehead and blessed me. <laughs> he says, you can tell who believes in laying on hands. If they put them on your shoulder, they don't really believe in it. If they put it on your forehead, they do. So, uh, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. So uh, that that began uh, what, what was kind of a serious inquiry, but it really got serious, I would say, about 20 or 21 years ago when I went out to spend some time with some hermits. And uh, again, my, my curiosity had been roused about about kinds of prayer that I read in the spiritual masters that didn't seem to be really quite what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's that's kind of what set me, set me sailing. So what happened there with, with the hermits? What was your experience like? Yeah, um, I've described this... Uh, quite often I, I had gone and done uh, a, a retreat down in South Texas and I, I talked about spiritual disciplines I was talking about it quite a lot uh, uh, then because you know um, you don't have to know very much about it to, to be able to you know, talk about it to a group of people who haven't really grown up thinking about that yeah. so um and a guy sent me a link to this this hermit's place in South Texas and says, this is a place I've been on retreat. You might find this interesting. And so I got in there, you know, and I've, I've made all these jokes about hermits with a website. This is already problematic. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, they had this thing called a 40-day wilderness experience, which was where you went down there for 40 days of silent prayer. Mm. And... 
I, I haven't had this happen very often in my life. I, I read and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I kept thinking, what would happen if you gave God your undivided attention for 40 days? And if you think about it, there's two things that can happen, and they're both bad. Yeah. One is nothing, and the other is something. <laughs> you know, yeah. Either way, you're sort of cooked. Uh, but and it was terrifying. Yeah. And uh, but I couldn't, I I couldn't let it go, so I decided to go. And I, you know, telling my friends about this, and they they're genuinely concerned, and they don't get it. Yeah. Because given the way of praying that they did, you could ask God to bless everything you can think of the yeah. first day, and now you got thirty nine days left. Right. right? You know the notion that you would go out there forty days primarily not to talk but to pray, to sit and yeah. listen, to be to, to do listening prayer, contemplative prayer didn't really compute uh, with them. But that in my adult spiritual life, that was the single most life altering experience that I've that I've had. So did something happen or did nothing happen? Something did something happen. Uh, it's maybe not what you'd expect. Uh, when I talk about this, the first thing I always do is, is I try to de-romanticize it. Sure. Because, you know, you know, glorious it's not. It's often tedious. It's boring. It, you know, you're just doing a lot of, a lot of sitting. And I had uh, – this imagination that okay i'll go out there and after 30 days i will convince god that i'm really serious about this he'll meet me at the end of the path we'll sit on a log and i'll be able to ask some questions yeah uh i had some stuff i wanted answers to and i can get any of that okay i tell people what i got was uh the gospel uh because when i when i went out there and got quiet uh what happened is what happens to a lot of people who who do this uh, all the crud in my life started coming to the to the surface, and noise and activity is the way you keep all that stuff at bay. Yeah, and when you get out there and you, you get quiet, and there's kind of no place to hide. Well, okay, here it here it comes. And um, I did, you know, one of the hermits out there was providing me with some spiritual direction while I was there. And I said, you know, boy, I don't know where this is coming from, but boy, it is really pretty tough. Hmm. And um, he says, don't worry about where it comes from. What do you want to do with it? Hmm. I said, well, I don't know. And, you know, the great things about the hermits, they've had a long time to think about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> he said, this is like smoke going out of a chimney. Hmm. And you can try to put the cap on it, but all you're going to do is drive the smoke back down to the house, yeah. which is what you've been doing your yeah. your whole life. Or what you could do is let it go. And there, there was a moment later where I was sort of able uh, to let it go, and uh, I, I joke about um, because I'm a, a good child of uh, Churches of Christ. In that moment, a verse of "Just as I am" came to me. Mm-hmm. I guess I could be Baptist too, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, "Just as I am, Thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be yeah. Thine, Thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come." And there, there was a moment then I, when I realized with my heart what I'd already said with my head, uh, and that is uh, God loves me just the way I am. Mm. And there's nothing that I could ever do that would make God love me any more than he does right now. 
And when you listen to the spiritual masters through Christian history, that's the one thing they all agree on. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, what, what do you learn from thousands of hours of sitting with God? What you discover is God is love. Mm. And you know, is that it? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's just about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I have found it shockingly hard to get that from people's heads to their yep. To yeah. their hearts, it's hard to talk them into uh, to the, to that, and uh, so you know that 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 totally transformed my experience. I, I always tell people that there, there's two parts of of prayer life. One one is developing contemplative practices, mm-hmm. and then there's getting to that point where you have a contemplative stance mm. towards life. Yeah, and it doesn't do to say, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit quietly with God for two hours a day. If the rest of your day is total chaos, yeah. you know, at some point, that yeah. that contemplative life has to be, has to develop a stance that makes you calmer, saner, more centered, more compassionate in the way you live. So I said, developing the practices is the hard part. Developing the stance is the harder part. Mm. Uh, and so that's that's been kind of the the process. And and for the last twenty years, I've gone any place in the world where I thought there were people who could teach me about yeah. uh, how to pray. And they're harder to find than you think because people who are really good at prayer. Spend a lot of time like uh, praying, <laughs> and um, they're, they're not interested in spending a lot of time, you know, gabbing. They're not they're not yeah. on the circuit. They're out there. Right. They're out there praying. But but I've been fortunate. I found you know really really good mentors and teachers in, in prayer and I've tried to look at lots of different parts of the of the Christian uh, tradition and you know I'm not I'm not against you know vocal asking God for right. stuff prayer I just have to tell people I'm not very interested in it anymore right it, it just it that seems like trying to make a fine work of art with a big fat crayon oh, sure uh, it's, it's too blunt um, and an instrument for yeah. what I want to do. I love the idea, and I think this is is really good for people to hear, that you, someone who's dedicated your life to the study of Scripture and to the teaching to future ministers, that the idea of putting yourself in a situation where God could do something was terrifying, yeah. was your first, like, it was worrying that yeah. something was going to happen. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about like you hear about the fear of God a lot and it takes a different you know I think of it differently than that but yeah like the idea of like giving up my life and letting God do something with it is scary yeah that's blank check stuff you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's like okay I'll go but don't tell me I have to get married you know? I like to have my hand on the steering wheel <laughs> right 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 yeah and um uh, you know, it's almost okay. God, I'll go, but don't mess with me. Yeah. And if you do, kind of open yourself to God. He's he's probably going to mess with you. To to come to know God is to change. And uh, if you, you know, you got to be open and 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 willing to to change. And um, you know. If you're confronted by God in some way, then you have to say yes or no. Where mm-hmm. you could have avoid that that yes or no mm-hmm. if you don't ever put yourself in in that position. And some of those yeses feel perilous. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, we laugh at Jonah, but being asked something directly by God 
and having to say, say uh, I don't want to do that. Right, right, right. right. It's tricky. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so when I was taught, uh, the message I received from um, the lessons on pick up your cross and follow me were very service-based. Uh, that means could do this. Um, what I'm hearing you say is that message it might also be uh, uh, come encounter me. Right. And in the encountering, you will die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't know what will. Yeah. You, you don't know what will, what will happen. Um, and uh, everything in the... I'm not sure what kind of language you've been using. In the modern and the postmodern world, in the technological world, is stacked against that encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, noise, activity, constant stimulation, entertaining every, ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, every every it's all stacked against that, and so trying to create um, uh, that space. And again, I you know I don't want to over romanticize. Uh, this, you know, when people say, "What's the difference in the way you sit and pray and when you just sit?" and the answer is not much. Yeah, the direction of my attention is different. Attention. But um, you know, what happens most of the time? Well, nothing. You get distracted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, just over. But over a period of years, I've become less uh, controlling. Mm-hmm less anxious mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a bit more compassionate and I, I think that grows entirely out of the uh, out of the contemplative uh, practices you know I'm not, I'm not opposed to the, the kind of prayer that, that again prays for great great and yeah. odds cancer I, I pray for those kind of things too but I've, I've sometimes asked people what if a Martian sociologist came here <laughs> And uh, try to develop uh, views on uh, Earthlings' religion by listening to them pray, or what they care about. They would come to the conclusion that we think physical health is the most important thing in the world. Oh wow! And uh, again, I'm not against praying for that, but but prayer is most at home in the spiritual world, Hmm. and uh, just. Trying, trying to manipulate the physical world or asking God uh, to do that. I, that's a legitimate form of prayer. It's in the Bible. Uh, but it's not the only way to pray. I mean, yeah. just trying, to, trying to control the weather is not the only way to pray. Hmm. So, um, man, there's so many things I want to address. <laughs> trying to trying to siphon her out where, which way to go with this. I, I think what I'm curious about now is you know it, um, you're not talking about prayer as it was this but now I know it's not that you're, you're saying it was this that circle got bigger right it includes that right. and that circle got bigger the kind of the four things you're talking about at the top is uh, we're not in the Venn diagram the smaller circle is not getting pushed out it's being wrapped around right. them um, we're still getting to talk to God that's still valid we're still getting to ask God for physical healing that's still valid um, What's like the biggest circle there? What's what what's the common denominator? What and when when we pray, what's happening? So I like to take people back to Habakkuk chapter two, 
verses 18 through 20. Second Habakkuk reference. Second Habakkuk reference. Two weeks. Of course you do. <laughs> uh, we, like, we like to do Habakkuk because people can't find it. You know? <laughs> we can't uh, sort of say you want it. Did, did he do 2, 18 through 20? Uh, three, I believe. Uh, yeah, is what he did. Okay, he did three. Yeah. Okay. So he did the happy part. <laughs> um, well, I mean, at the end of three, you have the most majestic passage in the prophetic literature. Yeah, yeah. If everything dies, still yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, what happens in two, 18 through 20, is um, you have this passage that closes with the Church of Christ hymn. Um, uh, you know, he's, he, he talks about, okay, what is an idol? It's just a hunk of, of wood and... And when you worship an idol, you worship something that can't speak. Yeah. And so you say, speak to me. And so you've got all this noise going on because the only activity is going to be human-generated because the idol can't say anything. Mm-hmm. And then he concludes in verse 20 with, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before mm-hmm. him. So he closes by saying, okay, God's at home. He might actually have something to say. So the first act of worship is to... Shut us up, you know, <laughs> you know, so to speak. I mean, you, you you do a lot of talking when you're talking to an idol because an idol's not going to say anything back. Yeah. And so, p- prayer is at its heart attentiveness to God. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense in the Brother Lawrence sense in which all of life can become prayer. Sure, because we learn to be more and more attentive to the presence of God. Yeah. But prayer is the pract is the practice of paying attention. And it's very hard to do dishwashing prayer if you haven't first learned to do sitting, sure. paying attention. Yeah, prayer. that's the difference between the discipline and the stance that you're talking about. Correct. Yeah. And uh, so uh, uh, prayer is a special kind of attention, and that attention sometimes involves uh, speaking, it sometimes involves listening, it sometimes involves just being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I always want to put a little space between myself and and kind of the uh, the the new faddishness around uh, mindfulness, mm-hmm. which actually is a Buddhist term. Uh, but you know, I, I like Buddhists too. Um, uh, but contem- contemplation is so obviously good for you. Sure. That people who don't even believe in God recommend, right? You know, if you go into an executive coaching, right, uh, a thing that's totally secular, they'll probably at some point talk to you about contemplation. Totally. So, I'm not I'm not talking about psychological health. I'm talking about be attentive to the living God, the God who make himself who makes himself known in Jesus Christ, and uh, that's that's what makes it different from. Um, Buddhist meditation is what makes it different from kind of secular forms of, of meditation that we're paying attention to to the God who makes himself known uh, in, in Jesus in the conviction that he'll meet us yeah. there uh, even though the ways are often not spectacular yeah that's so interesting to me I, I think I've heard some um, of the folks you're talking about uh, Sam Harris comes to mind as somebody who from a very secular standpoint, is doing some good things. And you know, he'll say he is trying to help people minimize and avoid suffering uh, through mindfulness. Um, but often that... That's straight Buddhism, by the way. Right. Yeah. And that, that mindfulness is, uh, and that is related to the absence of suffering by kind of becoming aware of what's happening inside of you. Um, 
But that's totally different from Christian silence, uh, Christian meditation, if we want to use that word, centering, um, which is becoming aware of something other. Right. Um, and reduced suffering's great, but it's actually not the goal of the gospel. It's not the point at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- w- one way of saying it is, um, if you want to make the con- comparison again with Buddhism, and you know, I've, I've spent a good bit of time learning learning Buddhist meditation, but in Buddhist meditation, the silence is empty. Yeah. Yeah. And in Christian meditation. The silence is full. Oh, wow! And there's there's a big difference yeah. um, in those things. And you know, bringing suffering into the conversation is interesting because in the Christian tradition, if you want radical spiritual growth, the two primary ways you do it are suffering and silence. And what they have in common is the willingness to give up control. Yeah. And in suffering, you, you don't choose it. it it comes yeah, to you yeah, whether happens. you want it or yeah. not. In silence, you you choose because in silence you give up control. I mean, yeah. even now I'm using the words that I'm using to try to portray a certain image of myself, and in silence I I, I give that up. It's a kind of in some ways the ultimate trust uh, in God. Um, so I mean, we're back to the heart of prayer. It's paying attention to God and it's being willing to sort of release your your grip or attempt to be in control of things. I mean, the very act of prayer is, is confessing that there's stuff beyond your, right. Beyond your control. And this primary Christian notion of, uh, my posture towards God, that I'm actually giving up control of my life. Right. Even, even in refusing to numb out through success, checking email, watching TV, for, for some time a day, uh, for some period in my day, uh, I'm going to give up this control of even where my attention goes. Mm-hmm. So, so in your uh, in your uh, deconstruction discussions, I assume you have some people who say, I prayed for stuff, nothing happened. Yeah, and so yeah. that was That's kind part of, of that story. For sure. Yeah. A kind of undermining my yeah. conviction about, about God. Yeah, part of it was that... Uh, and Shane touched a little on this this last week, um, is when you pray for something that you know is a good thing to happen. You know that, like, if God is love, he wants people to have better lives. Like, he wants, he doesn't want people you love to suffer. You know, and if you're coming at it from that point of view. And I grew up with a similar, like, God loves you. He wants good things for you. You know, the... The prayer of Jabez was a big deal. All the, you know, and and we grew up in a church where we wanted to pray expecting. We wanted to pray and expect sure. God to to do these things, and uh, and we knew that the prayer of a righteous man was powerful, and we knew that if you prayed without faith or without doubt, God would move these mountains. Faith and mustard seed. Yeah. yeah, all those things, and and I just kept finding that like I what I wanted was good and I was doing my best and I kept praying and things just kept getting worse. And it led me kind of to a place where I had to like fake it for a while because it felt like nobody's listening to me Mm -hmm. or they are and they don't care, you know? Uh, And you know, there were some sweet things looking back in my life. Now I can see 
places on that road where where God worked and where God worked through people. Um, but boy, in those times, it was right. We were drowning, you know, right. and felt like nobody. There was no life preserver inside. We were all on our own. Right. Um, and so, you know, I've had a hard time with prayer, other than sitting and not saying anything. Mm. Has really been like the the talking to God has still is hard for me to do. Mm. But uh, but yeah, the just the idea as we've gotten older and heard you guys talk about different ways to pray was it it was almost an escape right and like oh i can still participate in prayer right. even if this way that was the only way that i knew growing up had started to feel empty and to me so one of the one of the great masters of 20th century baptist spirituality is a guy named glenn henson most people haven't heard of him it's a shame <laughs> um but uh, Henson uses the illustration of Horton Hears a Who, huh. which, okay, you already got to love it, right? We got Dr. Seuss involved here. <laughs> and most people know this story. You know, there's this little town of Whoville on this dust speck, and, and Horton, because he's got big ears, so an elephant can hear it, nobody else can. And so they're getting ready to destroy his dust speck boiler or something, I don't remember, but... They, they find the littlest who in Whoville, and he's not doing anything, and so all he can do is go yip, and his yip is just enough for everybody, all the other animals to hear, and Whoville is saved, hooray. And um, Henson says, uh, prayer is that yip, and prayer is not the only thing operating in the world. There's a lot of other things operating mm-hmm. in the world. And uh, by itself, that yip may not do anything, but with everything else that God's doing in the world, sometimes that yip may save the world. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you yip. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Because you never know when that yip is going to make enormous difference. And I think that's kind of a homey illustration. It's a a reminder that... uh, Okay, prayer. God's not some short cook cooking up whatever you want on on demand. Uh, but um, yipping is a is a very good thing to do, and and sometimes yips make all the all the difference. And there aren't, there aren't any easy responses to unanswered prayer Mm -hmm. i mean you you want to exercise some humility when you're on that on the holy ground of of unanswered prayer uh but you know i tell you it's really sometimes hard to pray for other people i don't know what to pray for myself yeah yeah you know i I, it's it um but you know you can't you trust god with the desires of your heart and uh, you try to be attentive uh, to the movements of of God uh, in the world, and uh, you know I have I have considerable appreciation for the the people who say, you know, all all God needs to do is one thing. If I could see one clear mm-hmm. uh, thing, okay, my, my compassion kind of runs 
to that person. And my my question is always, well, is that only is that only the God of the cancer magic? Right. Is that the only way God can show up? Because that doesn't seem to be the primary way that God shows up. Mm-hmm. The primary way he shows up is shows up and dies. Yeah. So maybe we need to think a little differently about how we how we look for the presence of God in the world. You know, I spent some time on the Holy Island of Lindisfarne, Celtic Christians, and their their thing is if you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, everything speaks of God. Hmm. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but it does. It does. You know, say, okay, how are you training your eyes and ears? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who hasn't trained their eyes and ears at all and claim not to see God, I said, well, well, what, what do you, do you expect? expect? Yeah. 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 You you mentioned this when you talked about um, uh, the difference in meditation. Is that the silence is an absence versus the silence is is full of God. And it reminded me of uh, someone who uh, Shane mentioned in a sermon, and, and she is getting uh, press around Highland because she's awesome. But Barbara Brown Taylor, in her in her experience with silence and prayer, said that she went out to. Uh, the Sinai Desert for a retreat quite like yours and uh, said she kind of felt silence almost like as a personified presence and uh, she said she realized there and this is what I want you to respond to she said she wondered if silence wasn't actually a language of God Mm -hmm. Uh, that God is actually speaking to us uh, and it's even even a love language Mm-hmm. Uh, it got us speaking to us in the silence. Let mm-hmm. me, by, got us speaking to us maybe by silence. Yeah. So if if we wanted to go someplace in the Bible to sort of yeah. uh, get there, where would we go? Uh, I have something in mind. Yeah. So um, I think if I'm going to remember her words right, she said it's not in this still small voice, right? Because that's still speech. Yeah. God, God can speak to us in the still small voice, uh, but that's still speech. But um, I'm going to draw a blank on what she said now, but yeah, yeah, she she did she went somewhere. Well, the the deal is with that yeah. that passage in First Kings nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, still small voice is not what it says. It that is really not what it says. It it is the sound of sheer silence. Now, what does that sound like? Hmm. Um, I I have spent a little time in a. Uh, in, in one of those uh, sensory you know, deprivation tanks, sensory def- oh, deprivation yeah. tanks, yeah, uh, I really enjoy that. But e- even that, not quite that. It's close. You start hearing your own heartbeat and your own. You, yeah. you hear the static electricity of your own nervous system. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're floating in in seawater. It's it's really a pretty interesting experience. But uh, I mean. What what draws him out of the cave? It's not the voice that draws him out of the cave. What, yeah. it, it's almost undescribable. It's a, and then there was the sound of sheer silence. silence. Yeah. And so I think that at least opens up the you know the pathway to say, okay, maybe silence is part of the language of of God. Yeah. And um, I think I think. Uh, Sort of contemporary human beings' fear of silence is is surely means something. Yeah, uh, you know. Well, we 
boy, do we live in a noisy world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, got, we have to have background noise. I mean, that, that what, what is there about this, the, the silence that, that so puts us off? And, uh, you know, who knows? It may be that silence that's trying to, trying to draw us, um, uh, trying to draw us in rather than, rather than repel us. Yeah, and then this is what I, I think, what, come back to the thing that you said that I think is going to walk in on here stick with me the most is, I'll, I'll say it for myself, um, when I am aware of the ways I'm trying to numb myself, entertain myself away from God, or resist entering the silence with God, and, I, and the times that it's been clear like why I'm doing that, I think sometimes I am actually afraid of the love of God mm. because of what it might do to me. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so counterintuitive, though, right? Because, yeah. I mean, when we talk about, well, we want to go to the silence so we encounter God's love, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but this and, is now like the mysterium tremendum we're, we're right. talking about. And, yeah, it is great, but it brings with it its own demand. It might swallow me up. Right. right. Yeah. It, you know, the, the, one of the people who's really good on this is Henry, uh, not Henry Now, and uh, the other one, uh, Thomas Merton. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always put Henry Now and yeah, Thomas yeah. Merton sure. together because Henry Now makes you want to practice silence and solitude, and Merton terrifies you sure yeah and you know merton merton says it's that place where uh you've you've gone on a long camping trip you've been carrying all this baggage and you get rid of all the baggage and then you get to the edge of the cliff and god says okay now yeah now come on just one more step right and uh, sometimes the only thing that will make you take that step is if there's this raging fire going on behind mm. you, and you feel like, finally feel like, okay, wow. no choice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step off and hope it's, and and hope it's true. And uh, get, getting rid of all that baggage as we go along is very, very, very helpful. That it, uh, it's becoming disencumbered. But but then you get to the end of, of Merton or or. St. John of the Cross, who's my who's my kind of guy, and what's waiting at the end of the path is is a loving God. Yeah. And after he's disencumbered himself, he finds himself, you know, in a love that he can only describe in erotic terms. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know what he's talking about. Right. I, I have no idea what that would be. Or in Merton's case, it's the loss of the false self. Right. That all all these things we use to create armor uh-huh. um, a, a, against the world, and now there's nothing left but uh, the love of God that you're surrounded by, and you, know, you do lose something in that. You mm-hmm. you lose everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the old deal. You know, to be a follower of Jesus Christ will cost you absolutely everything, and to be a follower of Jesus Christ will cost you absolutely nothing. And when you understand both things to be true, then okay, now now we've stepped into yeah. a new place. <clears throat> Let's let me ask a practical question, because uh, most of us are in a position where we can go and do a forty-day silent retreat or go to the Sinai Desert. Like, mm-hmm. what is a way? for us here in our normal lives with jobs and kids and stuff like that, uh, 
what is a way for us for us to kind of expand our prayer circle? Our yeah. so uh, small things done consistently over time generally have greater impact than big ambitions that flame out. It's like losing weight. That's my least favorite explanation of how to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) With the uh, with with the covenant group I did at ACU, we asked them for fifteen minutes a day, and uh, that doesn't sound very much, like very much. But if you got other people in your life, even that has to be planned. And uh, okay, for fifteen minutes a day. At the very least, I'm offering you a vacation. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the only 15 minutes all day where there are no expectations, there are no demands, there is no agenda. I can just, I can just be there with God. And um, I, I recommend that that's that's a great way to start. And let's talk again after after six months and let's see what that hmm. experience means. You're not going to find anything out in a week. Yeah, but. Okay, God, I'm just going to be here for the next 15 minutes. I'm just going to hang out with you. I don't have any expectations, demands, or agenda about what's going to happen. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be here. And for most people, that's doable. Yeah. Even with families with small kids, with a little planning, it's doable. Now you can't be a silence hog, you know, <laughs> want it for you and not. And, and not be helpful to anybody else, but I I think it's actually a Highland that you know how how young they they started that in the kids ministry yeah. here. You know, you call it something a little different, but it's not fifteen minutes. But let's come to the quiet. Yeah, you know, let's have a little quiet here. What do they call it? soaking? Is that what they? I I don't know what it's called. Soaking. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Get their minds ready to pray and their yeah. bodies ready to pray. Um, and, and so I I think that's doable for most. Uh, people and then I'd suggest things like don't multitask. Try to be, mm. try to practice being present wherever you are, not being uh, someplace else. And, yeah. um, again, Mark Thibodeau wrote a great book called Armchair Mystic. And great title, right? So he said, you don't have to go to the desert. You can do it in your mm. in your armchair. And that's a great little introductory book to Christian. Of uh, uh, meditation, and uh, so just you know, just little things, you know, fifteen minutes. Do you have any advice for confronting the fear of meeting God? Hmm. Like, say I start spending fifteen minutes a day in silence. Great question. And in three months, I start feeling some demands yeah. on my life that I don't want to do. <laughs> is it just you do them or you go hey god listen I, that's not for me i'm gonna get on this boat and go the other yeah, way my guess is that's not the way it's gonna happen yeah uh the the way it's gonna happen is is first of all it's not gonna be the demands of god it's gonna be the crud of your life mm. and the temptation then is to get scared and, and run and what I try to tell people is the God who reveals is the God who heals. Mm-hmm. And if you'll stick around, there's there's some healing at the end of that reveal. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And then there will be, a, you know, there'll be a call mm-hmm. in, in, in that healing. But, you know, I, I don't think for most people that it starts out with God making all sorts of 
demands. I, you know, I, th I think it starts with healing, and first, uh, it's cheaper than therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I thank you for your time. Yes. I, mean, I want to wrap us up. I, people um, have asked for for resources. You've mentioned uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline Life. Um, I would throw out there uh, John Main, A Word into Silence, has been helpful for me. You could check it out at ACU right now, but I accidentally uh, ruined the book, and so it might be a while before it's <laughs> at ACU's library. Um, any other resources you would suggest for people? The single best book of you know the last 50 years on, on silence is Into the Silent Land. Okay. Uh, Who's that by? Uh, just, I just did a complete brain freeze. Just do the keyword search. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's an Augustinian okay. uh, monk teaches at Villanova, and uh, the, the the book is a little intense in places, uh -huh. but it's wonderful, and it just it keeps calling you back. Martin Laird uh, keeps Martin Laird into the silent land. I, you got it. Yeah, that's a. Uh, and I always, I always also recommend uh, Henry Nouwen's *The Way of the Heart*, the way of the heart yeah. mainly because you know it's seventy-five pages, yeah. and at this age, short counts for me. And <laughs> it, it's a book that draws you in. And if you want another short book, Thomas Merton's book *Contemplative Prayer*, although okay. I think it may go under another title now. But, okay. uh, and they do opposite things. Okay. The, the the Merton book's the scare you book. So, <laughs> okay, you know you're. There's, there's something scary. It's Mysterium Tremendum. There's something mm -hmm. scary about about coming into the embrace of a, of a loving God, where you have to give up things about yourself. So, Contemplative Prayer by Merton, uh, Way of the Heart, uh, I, I think, and uh, Laird's Into the Silent Land. Mark Mark Thibodeau's Armchair Mystic is Armchair a Mystic. great, great little entry path into listening uh, prayer. And the great thing about today is there are hundreds more. Yeah, I mean there there really is, there, there's no there's no uh, shortage of wealth of right. material on the contemplative life now. Well, I'll conclude with uh, something you may hate, which is a compliment. Um, but uh, it struck me when you're talking about Foster and Celebration of Some of Life, what that did for you, it kind of opened up a new world. Just, You've, you've done that. God's used you to do that for me and for others for in, sure. in our tradition to uh, show us that there's a way when our, when our words to God fail that it's not uh, because God's left, but because God's inviting us to deeper places. And so yeah. thank you for your life. Thank you for being part of the Highland community and, and loving Highland and its people so well. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank yeah. you.